Still in Hebrews, we're in chapter 12, which is an excellent chapter, most familiar to most of us. In the first three verses, hear now the word of the Lord. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. The title of our message is Let Us Run. So today, I hope I don't belabor the point, but we're going to talk about running a race. First, I want to talk a little bit about the race. It is the race of a lifetime. It's the race that we have when we enter into fellowship with the Lord and we've come to salvation. And now we're running a race, a new path. The word that's used as race in this particular passage is the word, uh, we get our word agony from it. So you see the point. Uh, it refers to not just a foot race or a track event, but it refers to any contest, a boxing match or a wrestling match or any other kind of competition that involves a lot of effort, pain, and agony for which the element of endurance is paramount. So the race that we enter into is life, life's struggles. This particular word is used 19 times in the New Testament, especially in the Apostle Paul. He refers to this agony, this race. The race is run before an audience. That's what the passage means when it says we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. The witnesses that we've just enumerated in chapter 11 are all there. You're running the race of faith with Abraham watching, Noah, Abel, Sarah, Rahab, Joshua, all of them that are enumerated in chapter 11. They form a, a, a thick cloud of witnesses. But you're also running the race before all the saints of all ages that have come before you. It's just something about having an audience that makes you run a little faster. I remember a few years ago, my son ran in one of the marathons here locally, and we went to the early service and got in plenty of time to get down to the American Airlines Center for the finish. And I remember being about 50 yards from the finish line, and, and uh, my daughter-in-law gave us the time. He was going along at a certain pace. You know, it's one of these marathons where they run all around White Rock Lake and way all over the place. And... And, and I looked up, and eventually, a little later than I thought, I saw him coming, and he was barely moving. And I remember just giving it all I had, screaming at him, and he said he heard my voice, and I watched him finish the race, and it was a joy because he, he put something on it. He had just a little bit left, and he gave it all he had to finish the race and go under the big manners with the automatic clock there at the American Airlines Center. There's something about having an audience when you run. And we are. We're watching each other. The saints of all ages are watching us. 
And we are running that race. I want to speak of the race, if I can, in just a few terms. I want to talk about the pace of the race. The pace of the race. The race may start slowly at first. In fact, I found out later why my son was a few minutes off of his time. Because when he got down here on Turtle Creek, he suddenly needed to go to the restroom. And it was the first batch of toilets on the track. And it was a line at each place. But he said, it's worth waiting. (laughs) So from then on, he said, I relaxed. I knew I was off my time. I knew I wasn't going to win anything in particular. So I just ran the race. You don't know what to expect in the race, actually. There's just a whole lot of things. The scripture says that we need to lay aside every sin that besets us or clings to us or things that we admire is what this is talking about. It's the besetting sin. It's, we are to divest ourselves of these diversions in our lives. And we need to identify them and find out what these besetting sins are. The Latin translation is impedimenta, the, the weights. That is the, the things that weight down the warrior. The warrior, when he went into battle, had a lot of things, but he had to get rid of everything except the essentials, the sword, the shield, the few things he needed to fight the fight and to endure the race and the agony of the battle. And and sometimes our pace is sometimes slowed because we're running uphill. We're running against the wind. We're running against the currents. We're running against all the trends, not only in the world, but in the flesh. Sometimes we need to be careful that when running uphill, we continue to divest ourselves of those things that beset, that cling to us, that hold us back, that drag us down. Well, one of the things that's just as difficult in running a long-distance race as running uphill is running downhill. Downhill is when it's really going smoothly. Downhill is when you really feel it. As you begin to run downhill, you can... Your own momentum takes you and your stride lengthens and your, your pace quickens and you begin to really make up time. And you feel good. Sometimes downhill can be dangerous as well. That's a good place to blow out a knee. With all the weight coming down in that extra long step, if you take a, just the wrong stride, you can hurt your knee. And maybe a hip pretty badly. You have to watch even the good times can be besetting. The good times in the race can keep us. Running downhill is the time that some people fall. When life is going good, they, they relax. The weight doesn't seem to hold them down as much, so they don't lay aside the weight. They kind of cling to their sin because there's nothing stopping them. There's nothing reminding them of the, of the weight of the sin. So the pace sometimes is uphill, sometimes it's downhill. But the key thing in an endurance race is to keep moving. I remember years ago, I, um, 1973 actually, I, a coach where my wife worked and taught school uh, told me, he knew I, I ran a little bit and he was asking me if I'd ever read a book and he gave it to me. And it was a book that hardly anybody heard of at that point. It was Aerobics by Kenneth Cooper. And I read that and I realized that you don't have to set the pace at a high pace. The important thing is the endurance. And that's what this word endurance is used twice in this text. And it talks about us enduring and it talks about Christ enduring. And what the endurance is, is that that stamina. It is that 
continuing to go. It literally, it's the word hypomeno, and we've preached a couple of whole messages on just that word over the years because it's used in Peter and it's used in other places in the New Testament. But it, it literally means to, to remain under, to stand under. The Latin translation is the word stamina. And it's the word endurance that we are to run with endurance, to stay in place, to abide, to hold out, to, to bear up a weight. It also means to suffer. And this is the word that's applied quite often to the life of Job in the Old Testament. Job, who's famous and well-known for his immense suffering and yet his continual faith and trust in the Lord, this is what, what Job developed in his life or the Lord developed in his life over the years and the old authorized translation even translates this patience run with patience the race that is set before us and you've heard people speak of the patience of Job well look at all the things the privations and the difficulties that happened to Job and yet he continued and that's really what this stamina is all about it's to keep moving it's to bear up there's not anything that is uh, easy about it. And, there, and a lot of times the race that we run, there's nothing easy about it. We have difficulties and all kinds of problems. In fact, I'll mention a couple of them. I spoke of the pace of the race. Let me talk about the chase of the race. The chase of the race is being chased. Being chased by Satan. Coming at us with his wiles and his fiery darts coming at us with his temptations, coming at us with his reminders as the accuser of the brethren, like, you're not really doing very well. You know, if you think about it, you're really not holding up very well. You know, if you think about it, you're really failing and falling a lot. You know, all that sin that you have in your life, what makes you think God's going to forgive that? And so Satan accuses. He's a liar. He's trying to destroy us. He's seeking about, walking about seeking whom he may devour. He comes after us. I remember once when I was running one afternoon, I came upon a pack of dogs, and uh, I didn't know what to do. I just sort of kept running, and they started barking, and pretty soon there was one pretty good-sized dog that was right on my heels, and he wasn't saying a word. All the dogs were barking, and they were running along chasing me, and I'm keeping my pace as best I can. But this one dog, I noticed he gets up close. The next thing I know, he had sunk a fang right into my calf. And I mean, and the blood did spurt forth. I got to a Texaco station and hosed my leg down. I got to the doctor the next day and got a techno shot. That's what Satan's trying to do to us. He's stalking. He doesn't maybe appear to be much of a threat. He may not be making any noise. He may not give you any warning. But he comes upon you in the time you least expected in the middle of your race. There's hardships and difficulties that chase us. But let's not disregard that sometimes we're chased by the Lord. It's the chastening of the Lord. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son that is his. If you're a child of God, the Lord is going to allow these things to come in order to chasten you, to show you your weakness, to show you your frailty, to teach you dependence, to convict you of your sin, and to Convince you when you've received the chastening that you belong to Him, that He loves you. Because if He didn't love you, He'd let you go on and live your life and die in your sins and go to an eternal punishment. But He loves you. And so He brings things in upon your life. 
And you can enumerate these things. Much vexation of soul, illnesses, financial difficulties, relationship difficulties. Just go down the long list. Fears, failures. Don't ever disregard the chastening of the Lord. And then also in the chase of the race are a few things we need to be chasing ourselves. Things are chasing us. We need to be chasing. And that's the word that's used to describe the chasing or the pursuit of holiness. In amongst it all, we need to be chasing, pursuing holiness. Holiness before the Lord and purity. The Bible says without that pursuit of holiness, no man shall see the Lord. That's a serious statement. Do we attain it? Not in this body. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this vile body? But that pursuit, that chasing of the holiness and the chasing after God's perfections. We need to be chasing after righteousness in our own lives and in our communities and in our relationships and justice. There are things we need to be pursuing. So the pace of the race and the chase of the race move us then to look to Christ. The word here, the author and finisher, for author is the word uh, archagon, and teloetain is the word for finisher. It means the first, at the first, the initiation and the goal, the finish line. Isn't that beautiful? That's Christ. We are to look to Christ who is the initiator. He's the one that set up the race. In fact, the scriptures say here he endured the cross. He bore the cross in order that we might be saved. We are not to look to ourselves. No matter how well you run, it's not good enough for your salvation. But if you look to the Lord as the one who's the author of your salvation, the foundation of it, the start of it. And then he's also the finish line, the starting gate and the finish line from start to finish, alpha to omega, is Christ in our lives. In fact, all of the race is to cause us to look to Christ who has run the race before us and who has won the race for us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And this brings us to the grace of the race. The pace of the race, the chase of the race, and now the grace of the race. And it's right there in our passage. It's in that second and the third verse, which we'll read now. Consider him. Twice in this passage, we're asked to look to Jesus and to consider Him. It's more than just a casual glance, but it is a gazing upon Christ and, and studying His life and how He ran the race to see what may be learned. He has Im implored us to follow Him. And so in following Him, we do this. The life of Christ and the death of Christ certainly has an exemplary effect upon our lives. We are to be imitators of Christ. There is a sense in which 
there's a moral influence to the atonement. But that's not the whole story. There's a penal substitution. That is, he bore in our place. He substituted for us and bore that penalty. And that's what the scripture talks about here when he begins to talk about the crucifixion of Christ. And no matter what we endure in the pace of the race or the chase of the race, it will need nothing compared to what Christ endured. First of all, he endured the despising of sinners. The very people Jesus came to save, he came to seek and to save the lost. The very people he came to save despised him. He came into his own. His own received him not. That's the first blush of people's reaction to Christ. Isn't that unbelievable? It may be yours. It was mine. The first blush is, I am not interested. I don't need Christ. I don't believe in Christ. I doubt if Christ ever lived. I doubt he's the son of God. I doubt if what he did or said anything to do with me. That's despising. It's setting aside. It's ignoring. He, he ignored that despising. He himself despised the despising and followed his way to the cross. There's a point in the Gospels where it kind of turns the corner where you hear a little statement where Jesus said that it was said of him by the apostle, the, the gospel writer, that he set his face as a flint to Jerusalem. Flint's pretty hard stone. That's a pretty hard setting. He set his face as a flint to Jerusalem. What was going to happen in Jerusalem? That was where he was going to be taken and bound like the sacrificial animal and brought to Pilate and stand before Pilate as a as a lamb before the shearers is dumb. He will open not his mouth. He, he will bear our sins. There's no excuse for sin and he didn't make any excuse. There's no defense for our sin and he didn't defend our sin. He, he bore our sin. And when he was accused and when he was crucified, it says that he despised the shame. There's a lot of shame involved, by the way. It was the shame of just being crucified as a criminal. He was the most righteous man that ever worked as being convicted in court, two courts actually, the Jewish Sanhedrin court and the Roman court under Pilate and ultimately Herod, convicted of criminal activities, blasphemy in one court and sedition in the other court, high crimes, and he was condemned. There's the spectacle of the cross. Was it enough that they be executed? They had to be executed in public, making a statement in Lie, uh, hanging upon that cross for six hours completely naked suffering all of the penalties of the curse starvation thirst derision suffering pain agony forsaken by God as God turned his back upon the bundle of sin that Christ bore that was our sin in his own body on the tree and God couldn't look upon sin and so he turned his back upon Christ and that's not to mention just the torture that we've spoken of quite often Christ himself was crucified crucifixion had its own unique way of being the worst kind of execution it took a long time it took hours maybe even days suffering but he did it because that was the penalty for our sin Every time we're in the 
race and our pace slows or stops with a fall, that fault and that failure is upon Christ. When we have injury of our soul, we must look to Him for healing, for by His stripe we're healed. It pleased the Lord to bruise Him. This was God's plan of salvation. All the stuff that we suffer in running the race is nothing compared to what He suffered. And He did it all for us. The conclusion of the passage says here that He endured from sinners such hostility against Himself. And it was all for us. So that you, He did that and endured all of that for you. So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. What a hope. Knowing that every delay, every impediment, every stoppage and failure of our race has been covered by the blood of Christ. We make no other plea. We have no other hope. We come to Christ. We look to Christ. We consider Christ. We follow Christ. That's believing the gospel. When you believe what Christ has done for you, you believe the gospel. And it makes all the difference in the world. You need to preach the gospel to yourself every day. Look at the back of your bulletin. This is kind of interesting uh, moment and notice here of our weekends that are coming up in April and two in May. It says, I need the gospel. You need the gospel. Our city needs the gospel. The purpose of these meetings, these weekends, is to connect more deeply to Christ and to one another and to the vision which the Lord has given our leadership of this church and I'm sure most of you share right away. It's called a, a re-enter. That is, we re-enter the doors of the church as a family. We're going to have some new doors to enter into here in just a few short months. We are to remember the power of the gospel and to renew our commitment to Him. The registration you can see there is just go to the website, sign up. There are uh, child care and children's activities available during those hours. I've been in this church for 24 years, and we've had incredible, wonderful things that are special. I remember the winter graces we had year after year. And I remember the missions conferences, and I remember all the people that have come and stood in this pulpit to preach. And in fact, we've got one coming next Sunday, Kevin DeYoung, one of the outstanding young preachers in our denomination. And all the wonderful things that this church has provided for your spiritual nourishment. But I don't know of anything like what's coming up. So I encourage you to pray, to make your plans to attend at least one of these events. And let the Lord strengthen you through it. Our pastors, especially our younger pastors, have worked very, very hard to have for us that which we need. And come with expectation. Expecting the Lord to work in your heart 